Hi folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for listening to the Fat-Burning Man Show, where we talk about real food and real results. Today's show is about one of the most popular subjects in this world of changing your relationship with food, and that is the dreaded sugar addiction. And we talk to an expert on sugar addiction, Mr. Michael Fishman, and he's a heck of a guy to boot. But before we get to the show, I just wanted to let you guys know that if you hop on over to fatburningman.com and sign up for my email list, I'll be sending a free ebook to you called The Primal Rockstars. It features exclusive interviews with Rob Wolf, Mark Sisson, Dave Asprey, Dean Dwyer, and more. So all you have to do is head on over to fatburningman.com, sign up for the email list, and I'll shoot it over to you for free. All right, so in today's show, we talk about how Michael Fishman has struggled with a lifelong sugar craving and beaten it. We talk about why sugar is more addictive than cocaine, the spectacular difference between I can't and I don't, and why it's so dang hard to turn down a cookie. All right, let's go hang out with Michael. Michael Fishman is the founder of the Consumer Health Summit and advisor to brands and personalities on marketing and branding. With an emphasis on consumer health, the chink in his armor is a history of the dreaded sugar craving. How's it going, Michael? Hey, good afternoon, Abel. Nice to be with you. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, so why don't you just give the folks out there a brief overview of your background and and also kind of some of the things that you're up to these days. Sure. Well, I've spent the last uh, 20 plus years advising health and wellness brands, those that market and communicate directly with consumers, uh, some big publishing names like Prevention and Men's Health, mm-hmm. um, also some big personalities in the space like Andrew Weil and Mark Hyman and, and Deepak Chopra, um, uh, advising those types of people and those types of businesses on their marketing and the way in which they're communicating with their prospects and their communities mm-hmm. and acquiring new, new customers. Um, and, uh, so these days I, I, I mean, I've, I've been in the health and wellness space for, as I say, over 20 years, it's been my passion all the way through, uh, never tire of it. It really is a, a calling in terms of, uh, uh, an area of the business to work in. Um, and these days I continue to advise and, and guide and consult those types of businesses. I have investments with a few as well, um, and I speak on consumer psychology and the way in which businesses and brands speak to their communities and the language that they use and the way in which they, they engage people and talk to people. So really, um, health and wellness are the subjects that I, that I love personally and professionally, uh, marketing and specifically language and psychology and how, we, how businesses speak to their, to their clients and customers and, and how, how the, the brain really comes into play in those communications is really what I'm passionate about. I love that. That's going straight to my heart. <laughs> and it seems like you use these, these superpowers for good, not evil, but uh, other food manufacturers certainly can use them in a negative way. Well, for sure, and and you know from from your back from your uh, uh, time in that world, um, and certainly you know what I see when I look at uh, big brands, you know, consumer packaged goods, the companies that that market foods and supermarkets, the TV commercials that we see, all the advertising that we see, and even some of the advertising we see on the web from personalities and companies in the health space. Um, you know, I mean. Uh, Hopefully, everybody's out there with a with a noble mission to really help people with their health and their wellness, and to be responsible for that. But mm-hmm. but the fact the, 
the fact is that not everything out there is as useful um, as we might like. And in fact, some of those, you know, some of the health solutions people are offering are actually not particularly helpful, particularly when those businesses are not purpose-driven. If they go, if they go after the marketplace as a business opportunity, sometimes people market things that they don't really believe in, but they market them anyway. Yeah. And we know, so we know that big food brands. Um, in the soda business or uh, other, you know, candy business, uh, you know, we we know that um, there are some conflicts of interest there as well. So, from your perspective, um, when you're working with some of these folks, how do you differentiate the good guys from the bad? Well, I'm I'm choosy, you know. As, uh, I mean, as as you are at, at what you do, um, I have to I do have to pick my spots. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I think there's a, there's a vetting process that probably works as well for me as it might for a consumer or a, you know one of our listeners evaluating products or services that they want to engage in, which mm-hmm. is to um, understand who the leadership or the management of the business is. If, if the business is a personal brand like your business, able you're you're highly visible. Mm-hmm. You know there there are businesses that are positioned with personalities like Martha Stewart or Oprah Winfrey or Tony Robbins or you know Andrew Weil. Sure. There are businesses that are positioned where that person is highly visible and literally their name is on the door. And then there are other kinds of businesses that are just humanized with a, with a CEO or a leader, um, where that person isn't the name of the business but they are visible around the business, like Tony Shea of Zappos or Howard Schultz of Starbucks or people like that. Mm-hmm. So understanding who the le- understanding who the leaders and the and the managers in the business are um, having access to testimonials or more rigorously said client reviews mm-hmm. so that there are real stories from you know real success stories if there are any uh, scientific commentary or other reporting elsewhere about that business you can easily check via a Google search to get outside opinions about that business um, you know those kinds of things I think are important, and the and the other the other thing I think is that businesses that are really committed to marketing useful products, and this is really once again for where I pick my spots and where some of our listeners might pick their spots as consumers, um, a, a, you know, an, un, a, an unconditional refund policy generally tells you you're you're working with a good company, a strong presence with customer service, and a real commitment to taking phenomenally great care of, of customers is something. So I look for that when I choose my spots, and I think that those same kinds, uh, that same sort of due diligence or that same sort of uh, very readily accomplished, um, uh, you know, a little bit of digging, um, you know, would, would help the people that are listening to us right now as well. Yeah, and it's difficult, isn't it? As, as a consumer, um Finding number one, finding a brand that you trust. Uh, I'm thinking specifically right now of Kerrygold, which is uh, a, a relatively easy to find grass-fed butter, and they they seem to do a great job. Uh, they just released, for example, a <laughs> a low-fat butter, which is not quite as high quality as the stuff that they're normally releasing. So it's it's a constant challenge to keep up with the brands after you've identified them just to make sure that they're yeah. still keeping it real. <laughs> What's one yeah. way that you do that, Michael? Well, well, there's, you know, there's, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about the use of the word natural in mm-hmm. food marketing. Um, you know, organic is, is, is relatively consistent in terms of the definition that, you know, doesn't, there's not a lot of variability 
and organic, although the word natural doesn't really have any regulatory restrictions around it. Right. Um, so it's, you know, and, um, you know, and, and certainly, you know, foods that are advertised or labeled as low fat you generally have higher sugar or sweetener concentrations, mm-hmm. lots of other chemicals that, that replace the fat to make it equally as tasty. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's important to understand what, what labels and what the language of food marketing means, you know, as, as consumers. Right. Um, I think, I think that's, um, extremely important. You know, when, when we look at, um, you know, when we look at personalities, I mean, Abel, on your website, there's just a really super fully transparent history of who you are and where you've been educated and how you've studied and become the master educator and coach that you are. Um, you know, the holy grail in credentials in our, in our space tends to be MD for medical doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, there are great people that are not medical doctors, like chiropractors and naturopaths and other sorts of practitioners, mm-hmm. and, even, and even people without specific professional training who nonetheless are very smart, very well-intentioned, and have done amazing work in creating solutions and systems and methodologies that are extremely helpful to people. And I think one of the keys in understanding who to trust is that um, credibility sometimes has to do with credentials, although not every credentialed person, MD, et cetera, is worth working with or, right. or you know, heeding, heeding their advice. But there are many people, you know, so the, the other thing about, about credibility is that transparency helps someone to be credible. So if someone is just fully transparent about who and what they are and who and what they're not, that's someone that you probably, you know, can trust. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are great. I mean, you're you're not a medical doctor, but you have an unbelievable academic background, and you and you're you know very well thought out and very well researched in everything you do. Same with other friends of ours like Tim Ferriss or Chris Carr. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's not always a traditional credential that you know it indicates the individual who who can best serve you. Yeah. And that's so interesting. And in some cases, I think that that can um, prohibit driving forward to a certain degree. And, and you know, even given my uh, my academic education, I feel like I've needed to unlearn quite a bit of what I learned in the traditional system about nutrition, about some of the ways that the body works when I started dabbling in the fringes and, and looking at newer science and that sort of thing. Sure. Um, and, sure. and that can be dangerous waters as well. But it's definitely yeah. an unevolved journey. <laughs> well, between look, you know, I mean, even as even as recently as ten to fifteen years ago, you know, going out and having pasta as frequently as possible was, was you know, this was kind of what people felt was a healthy diet. Right. Um, you know, b- between between the science and just the belief systems that have changed so much, and then just understanding where there are conflicts of interest that would really render recommendations questionable, like, the, you know, the American Dietetic Association, other, other uh, uh, you know, um, organizations in the dietitian space um, are funded by some, some big food companies mm-hmm. whose products have preservatives and chemicals and high fructose corn syrup and all those sorts of things. So, um, you know, so as an example, I was just reading yesterday, there's a movement in the 
community of dietitians to create, um, you know, really some some guiding, some guidelines for integrity. Mm. Um, so, but so between the science changing, the you know, the beliefs, you know, even among the most well researched and the most well intentioned doctors and researchers, and then just where there are conflicts of interest, there there really still is a fair amount to navigate. Yeah. There is. <laughs> That's why it's important to have a group of people who you trust. Uh, but at the same time, like I was saying right before our call or right before our interview, Michael, it's sometimes that can become very incestuous. Like, uh, for example, the ancestral health community, everyone kind of knows what everyone else is talking about and start squabbling about the details, um, things about like whether right. a starch is, is safe or not. And the little uh, ratios between omega-3 and omega-6s, for example, and, and what is optimal. Meanwhile, you know, 99% of the world is, or of the country certainly, is uh, is suffering by eating food that is not appropriate for their body. So I think something that, um, that I'm sure the folks that you work with, when they're developing these uh, brands of integrity, they can kind of help push that toward the mainstream, right? Push these fringe ideas toward the average Joe or Jane? Uh, I, yeah, and I, I think we see that. And I think, um, look, it, what was fringe, you know, six months ago, next year can be mainstream. And, right. and you know, some, sometimes it depends on what, what is the marketing muscle and what are the, what are the platforms by which, you know, this, this solution or the new system has been publicized, discussed, um, I mean, if something goes into a very big venue like the Dr. Oz show or the Today Show or the Huffington Post or those sorts of outlets, I mean, that those sorts of outlets can be can can take a new discovery or a new way of looking at things, um, you know, quite far. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but but the other thing is that any any of these sorts of things, when presented to the consumer marketplace, I mean, look, he, you know. I assume as as a marketer, as a, as an investor in some of these kinds of businesses that offer health solutions to the consumer market, I assume that we're talking to a you know a, a smart marketplace. Mm-hmm. You know, people are people. This conversation, these, this language, these sort the sorts of awareness around health and wellness and what's good for you are really very much in the mainstream. Virtually anybody, you know, in America, regardless of their prior participation with health publications or anything, virtually everybody could name one thing they could start doing and one thing they could stop doing to improve their health and wellness virtually mm-hmm. immediately. Sure. So everybody has enough knowledge to take a few steps. So in, in some respects, knowledge isn't necessarily... It's, it's, it's good to have the best, most helpful knowledge, but in another way of looking at it, you know, the, the absence of knowledge and information isn't so much the problem as people feeling, you know, having the ownership and the responsibility to, to, have, a, to have a great life and to have, uh, uh, you know, a healthy, you know, container, meaning their, their physical body. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the problem can be an overabundance of information and misinformation. <laughs> right, without yeah. a doubt. And, and you know, the other, the other thing, Abel, about, the, you know, new solutions, new discoveries, what you, might, what you mentioned as, you know, things that originate on the fringe, um, is that there is always a, and, and this goes back to what I was saying about uh, in my assumption that I speak to a smart, relatively well-educated market. Mm-hmm. Um, even so, it's important that people, it's important that businesses describe what it is they want people to understand in simple terms. Yeah. 
you know, so that it so that it is inclusive and does touch and is understandable by everybody in the marketplace, um, no matter what their education level and no matter their background. You know, yeah. people, you know, businesses businesses spend so much time doing backflips and and you know, like tap dancing. Businesses spend so much time trying to be understood by people in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. But they, but they don't necessarily spend a lot of time helping the marketplace, helping people in the market feel understood by them, right? Yeah. So it's really, so it's, it's helpful and even compassionate to speak to the marketplace in a way that they can understand. And so, a fringe idea, a new solution, a breakthrough idea, um, is best communicated in ways that people can. Can, can fully understand from wherever from wherever their you know whatever their background is yeah um, and so and that that makes it accessible and understandable to the broadest possible you know slice of the audience and, and gives it the opportunity to, to expand I think um, more quickly than it otherwise might absolutely now let's talk about a specific example from from your life uh, sugar. This is this is a really interesting one because I think if you ask almost anyone out there whether or not sugar is good for you, they'll all say no. Sugar is not good for you. Sugar makes you fat. It's not rocket science. <laughs> but right. at the same time, when they're reaching for uh, for low fat foods, what uh, inevitably happens when you take out the fat is food manufacturers tend to add try to add some semblance of flavor, and so in doing so, they add usually chemicals or kind of non-foods, and they up the sugar. So those little 100-calorie packs or the 100-calorie yogurts that are without fat all of a sudden have tons of sugar in them, yet they're supposed to be more healthy than the, the high-fat, low-sugar <laughs> yogurt. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> that's kind of a fascinating thing in the background of all this, but everyone, you know, almost everyone out there has sugar cravings, and I know that's something that you've been struggling with over the course of time. So can you explain your journey as it relates to that? Sure, sure. Um, well, sugar, I mean, I, I think there are lots of foods that, that people, uh, you know, it's foods and also food components, ingredients like caffeine and sugar and gluten and so forth, um, that people consume over time. You know, some of these things, sugar is probably a good example. If it was introduced to the marketplace today, I mean, there are many doctors who say the odds of sugar passing, you know, FDA approval as a new product today would be virtually impossible. But, you know, it's like, the horses, the horses have been out of the barn for for generations on yeah. sugar. You know, it's 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 in it's just out there. Yeah. Um, but for you know, for me, I mean, I just I have a sweet tooth. I mean, that's just how that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and you know, many many years ago, I, I stopped sugar for a period for a period of months. Um, but you know, it's always been on my mind that sugar has me. I don't have it. You know, like I've, I've either, I mean, however you want to language it, I could say I've empowered this substance or, or, you know, it has me, but it, it feels like an addiction. You know, we look at uh, heroin and even alcohol and things that are in the general conversation. There are commonly acknowledged addictions, but I, I think sugar is a, is a very addictive substance. Mm-hmm. Many scientists have, have demonstrated how it's more addictive than cocaine even, um, and so I really just decided to take on sugar head-on after many years of false starts and certainly being aware of my connection to sugar. Now, once again, I don't add sugar to, to drinks. I don't, you know, there, there's a lot of ways I don't consume sugar. Table sugar, 
I've never really used. But every day I would want something sweet. Um, even if there wasn't something in the house, I'd get in the car and go get it. And so yeah. I knew that when the car felt like it was steering itself <laughs> to the cookie <laughs> door. I've been there. But, you know, I, uh, that was, you know, at some point that just became unacceptable to me. And, um, and really the kicker for me was, you know, as you know, I lead an annual, uh, 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 discussion group, an invitational event called the Consumer Health Summit for, Leader, health and well, health and wellness leaders like yourself, um, and I've been doing that for about 15 years. And even though I'm healthy and not obese, I really w- was just raising the bar on myself in terms of being a congruent and effective leader of that event in the right. health and wellness space. So I thought, okay, last year before the May 2012 event, I gave myself a 60-day period of time leading up to that event where I would drop. Um, Sugar, gluten, caffeine, and alcohol—all four. Wow. Um, with and and also exercise daily for that period of time, and which for me was a five and a half mile walk. Okay. Um, and so I I I nailed that sixty days with more ease than I ever could have envisioned, and. You know, actually, caffeine, I had stopped five months prior after hearing Dr. Daniel Amen talk about caffeine. I just stopped. That was a mere formality for me. Many people struggle with caffeine. For me, that was a formality because I, you know, I would have a half a cup in the morning, maybe. Mm -hmm. No one made coffee. No one made coffee. I didn't even think about it. So I just stopped coffee. That was just an E. That was just a formality for me, and I haven't had it in a year and a half now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, gluten, while you have to be rigorous about it and just be aware of what you're eating and what's around, that also wasn't too tough at all mm-hmm. um uh you know alcohol i was in alcohol i went from maybe you know three or four glasses of wine per week um to a cold turkey stop and now with alcohol i allow maybe two to three glasses per month okay because it, it's it's not a trigger substance for me yeah. so you know i can take i can have a glass and then not think about it for weeks and that's okay right but but sugar was the number one sort of demon ingredient that just really had me and um, you know what I what I really and so now just in a few weeks from now it'll be a year. Um, Congratulations! Um, That's amazing. Oh, thank you, thank you. It, you know, it, I consider it one of the great accomplishments of my life. Even though there have been many others that we might consider, you know, make me successful in business or relationships or whatever, as a parent. Um, but beating sugar is one of the real, con- you know, sort of things I've conquered that really stands out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing is that, I mean, you could probably describe this better than I can. I think any of these substances within hours or certainly a few days are out of your system. And there's, a, you know, there's a, like a restoration of, uh, of, of chemical equilibrium in your body within a few days of being without these substances, but the brain really calls for it for a much longer period of time in terms of the memory of that experience, yeah. whatever the brain science is around this. So it, it took five or six months for my brain to stop clamoring and giving me every excuse and story in the book to get me to crack, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, so that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of how it went down, you know. I mean, for me, so for me, where willpower had previously failed, or or really just a commitment to my own health and wellness, which is massive, um, didn't really do the trick on this very addictive substance. And yet, externalizing it into a goal to lead this event, you know, with congruence um, was was what for the first time 
you know, have had me stick to a commitment that was a 60-day commitment and now just about to hit one year. That's amazing. And, and sugar is such a pernicious substance, isn't it? It's something that, as many people joke about it being addictive, it really is for almost everyone out there. I, I, I can't think of anything else that's really like that. Well, I, I, think it's, I think it's, as I mentioned, I think it's one of these substances that is, that is completely well-established in our culture, to say the least. And so we, we allow it to persist as this massively addictive substance that, you know, it's like the emperor's new clothes. We don't talk about it. You know, so like a sweet tooth is just sort of this thing we chuckle about. Right. But, you know, if somebody had a heroin tooth, we, you know, we get real, <laughs> we get, we get real, you know, we get real concerned about that. Then, you know, and because, sh- you know, sugar doesn't necessarily change your, your, your state of mind in a, in a, in a I mean, it might at some level create hyperactivity for kids or, mm-hmm. or, you know, there, there may be some subtle mental and cognitive impact, but because sugar doesn't make you high, so to speak, and it right. doesn't make, doesn't turn your drive, doesn't make you a reckless driver, enables you to keep working and, you know, it, you, 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 re, you, re, you retain your basic functionality even when you're eating sugar all day long. Um, and so, you know, we, we just allow it, we just endure. We, as a culture, we allow it to be. Um, but it's a massively addictive substance. And as I said, the first five or six months, even beyond the point where it was well out of my system, um, it's just now, phenomenal the tricks the brain will play to get you to crack and go back. And, you know, and, and it, look, I, it gives me a lot of, of empathy and, uh, and, you know, and, and identification with people who do beat, you know, some of the harder addictive substances mm-hmm. that we really, um, you know, that, that we as a culture look down on. I mean, and some of which are criminally, you know, that are against the law to even possess or use. You right. Know? But I, I I totally get the, what the brain does to get people to, to, to go back to those substances. It's very compelling. Yeah, and I think wired into our own psychology as well is to, uh, I guess, demonize the things that are acutely damaging, like heroin as an example, whereas right. something right. like sugar, since you don't get high, it's not acutely damaging, although I guess you could argue that it is, um, but not obviously so. It's one of those right. things where you can kind of look at it and, yeah, over the course of time, it's infinitely damaging to people. But because we're so uh, wired up for instant gratification or, like, noticing something that happens acutely, it's it's something that kind of goes under the radar. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, we know that, we know that, that, that pre-cancerous cells and cancerous cells, you know, love sugar. We know that sugar... Uh, destroys collagen in, t- in terms of this, the structure and the integrity of, of the skin and youthful skin. Um, we know, of course, that sugar has a direct relationship with insulin metabolism and, and ultimately uh, fat preservation um, in the body, uh, which, once again, you could detail far better than I can. But, um, but the, 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 ways in which, the ways in which sugar contributes to, um, to, to, to the generation and preservation of fat in the body, even more so than animal proteins, um, is, is very well established. So, um, it's, 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 a, it's tough stuff. It really yeah, is. It is. So let's define sugar in your case. What are you avoiding and, and what gets a pass? Well, it's, it's interesting. I, and it's, it's just funny because 
I, I, I get that question from you know just about everybody that knows about this, and for me, it's um, it's not only is it sugar, but it's anything sweet like honey, agave, molasses, maple syrup, mm-hmm. you know, and of course artificial sweeteners, which I've never consumed anyway. I've never been a diet soda guy, um, but really any sweetener. You know, because for me, a sweet taste, you know, if I'm having honey or agave or maple syrup, now I want a brownie, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm not into faux, I'm not into substitutes that taste or feel like the real thing but aren't the real thing. Even if they're safe, you know, even I need, so I stay away from sweetness other than what I do allow myself is fresh fruit. Okay. Um, for a while, I was actually, you know, enabling myself to, allowing myself to have dried fruit. Um, but I stopped that just because I realized that dry fruit is kind of a trigger food for me. Like I'll just overeat, like I'll really want to like just gorge on like apricots or raisins yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. I realized like, whoa, here's an, and of course dried fruit is kind of a power hit of, of sugar, even though it's natural sugar. So I actually thought, wow, th- these foods you know, apricots and raisins and so forth, dried apples, mango, etc. This feels like an Oreo. This is like it's got me. I don't have it because if I touch it, I go through the whole package. Right. So, so I actually used the muscle I had built from stopping sugar and gluten, etc. And I said, okay, I'm not eating dried fruit, and that was that. And that's been like six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So I, I find that the you know the the muscle, if you will, that I built from having been able to put aside this extremely addictive food ingredient called sugar, you know, it helped me build a muscle to actually say no to other things much more quickly and much more sustainably. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, you know, I, I think conquering weight or conquering a particular food addiction or something like that and, and, and sustaining it, I think, you know, and, and I know you have, have experienced this and many of our friends and listeners will have experienced this. Once you, once you kick something, once you beat something like that and sustain it, it actually gives you the ability and the muscle to affect change elsewhere in your life, virtually any kind of change, um, through your experience of yourself as something you know, like you have, like your relationship to yourself is that you trust yourself yeah, and that you, and that you do like your word is your bond. Even when your word is with yourself, you know, you can make promises to others and keep those promises and then you can make promises with yourself. So there is the, you know, food is, is a, is a real yardstick of your relationship with yourself. And, um, you know, to manage food in a, in a way that's helpful, um, and even to, to stop consuming certain ingredients or components of food, I think, you, you know, it's, at least it's my experience that, um, you know, I've been able to develop this muscle around changing, uh, you know, any sorts of other things just because I've demonstrated to myself that I can do it. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And it's, it's almost like a <clears throat> contagious process I've found for me, a lot of, what, what has changed my life ultimately was changing my relationship with food. And that started with nutrition. And it was, you know, a lot of people out there know my story. But just briefly, I was, um, I was okay as a teenager. But the way that I was eating, which is supposedly healthy, low fat, um, high carb, and exercising a lot. Every time I went to the doctor, I was a little fatter, a little sicker, and, and supposedly supposed to take one more medication that was on a rapidly building list when I 
started really researching this stuff to death and, uh, and I guess reversed my thinking about what I thought I knew uh, based on my doctor's recommendations, based on conventional wisdom, what the commercials tell you to do, what the magazines tell you to do. Once I kind of abandoned that and, and did a 180 and my health turned around, I thought, well, what other myths are out there about exercise, for example? And then I kind of tackled that and I'm like, wow, this is nothing like what I was taught in gym class, you know, that running longer will get you leaner and more fit, for example. Um, turns out the body just doesn't work that way. And then I started applying that that framework of what else do I think is true that is actually not to life in general and and business. <laughs> and my life has completely changed since that first, I guess, building of the muscle when it came to food. Right, right. And congratulations to you on, on all of that as well. Thanks, Michael. But uh, <clears throat> how can people out there, uh, number one, begin the process of cutting sugar out of their diets, for example, and how do you sustain that? Yeah, well, um, I'm, I mean, I, I'm not a, uh, a, a psychology professional, um, but, and, but, you know, what, what, what worked for me was, because, um, look, I, as I said, I, I, have a, I have a strong commitment to, to health, wellness, and living the longest, you know, most vital life I can, and I'm an example of somebody with massive amounts of access to information, you know, a lot of which I, I read and, and, and understand. So, um, so the, it, it wasn't a lack of commitment and it wasn't a lack of, um, of education or information. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for me, for me, what enabled me to do it was to pick an external target, meaning the 60 days up until my leadership of this health and wellness conference for business leaders. Um, and, you know, uh, and and that that event in itself is a huge long-standing commitment for me. Fourteen years at this point, so wow. um, you know, f- just for me, that was something that really delivered the result. You know, and and what it you know, I think the key there is that it takes willpower out of the game in a way. You know, because um, you know, systems and and external commitments really do trump willpower because the brain will crush willpower most of the time. Yeah. Um, but if, if you can take you know just a, the simple um, you know <clears throat> exercise of willpower out of the equation and pick an external target. Look for some for for some men and women that's their wedding date. You know we we hear that all the time. You know I want to get into my tux. I want to get into my dress. Whatever mm-hmm. that might be. But those sorts of things, I th- I think, have a you know a fairly good track record, and you know the the, the point is, and the point there is that to pick something, and then when you hit that thirty or sixty days from now, whatever it might be, that that's not the end of the story, um, yeah. because you know left left to your own devices, your brain and your body and your historic habits will take you right back to where you were, and that and that is also fairly predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's also the language that you assign to this process. It is not a diet, you know, in terms of a short-lived, uh, like exercise and deprivation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, so if you, so number one, take out willpower. Number two, I think you'd agree, take out deprivation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in the way in which we, we language and label and characterize these processes, I think has a lot to do with their success, you know, it's like, well, this is, this is how I live, 
you know, this is now, this is now how I live. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, I can't envision the reintroduction of sugar because I think as a, you know, as a sugar addict, uh, if I don't have sugar for the next 40 years in 40 years, I'll still tell you I'm a sugar addict. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, you know, I think it's important to pick a target in, in the near term, let's say in the next, you know, 60 to 90 days, stick to it. And, and at that point, I, you know, at least for me, there's been a total shift in my experience of those food or food, foods or food ingredients. There's been a total shift in terms of my desire to have those things. Hmm. Um, I still want brownies and ice cream and all that stuff, um, but it, it's no longer pulling and begging me to have it, you know, in terms of the experience in my mind and my brain. And, um, you know, I, there, it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's effortless, but it's, it's a hundred times easier than it was, you know, just a few months ago. Yeah. And so I think most, you touched upon this. Most people think when they cut sugar, for example, it's an exercise of deprivation. So how do you take something like that and, and turn it in a positive direction? Yeah. Well, the, you know, the, the, um, <clears throat> giving the body the nutrients that it really needs, um, it, you know, is, is a big part of that. I mean, we're, as a nation, we're we're overfed but undernourished. Yeah. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yes. I mean, there there are people in our country that do not have enough food, and that's a very sad circumstance. But what I'm what I'm referring to is people that have plenty of foods, but but it's all the wrong foods, and so, yeah. you know, o- obesity and undernourishment go hand in hand much of the time. Um. So, you know, it, it's you know that that's. I forget exactly where I was going, but uh, you know, that's you know that's something that we see quite. Oh, that's something we see quite a bit. And so, nourishing your body with what we call whole foods, with you know with with proteins and vegetables and those sorts of things. Um, once 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 you've actually beaten the addiction or the or the habitual nature of whether it's sugar or caffeine or alcohol or whatever it is that. Um, that engages people at that level, um, giving your body the nutrients that it really needs um, is something that quells those desires quite a bit. Right. And I was talking to a few other folks about this recently. For you, um, keeping up this change, I, th- I think accountability is built in because a lot of people know that this is what you're up to, cutting these things out of your diet. But even more than that, the longer that you do it, the more it becomes a part of your identity. Yeah, yeah, that's 100% true. You know, I mean, I'll, I go on Facebook, I mean, up some of the major milestones, you know, 60 days, six months, and, you know, 100 days, 200 days, whatever, you know, whatever those big round numbers are. But I'll go on Facebook and say it's been 200 days and I'll get 30 comments. And yes, the comments feel good and everybody's congratulating me and patting me on the back. But really what that's about is me being accountable in public, mm-hmm. you know. Like I'm going to the I'm going to town square and I'm getting up on the box and I'm saying you know I am committed to this and I've done it for 200 days and I'm not going to stop you know so in, in 10 days or whatever it is I'm going to go on there and say it's been a year and you know there's going to be a whole ton of comments and that will be nourishing but it isn't the point yeah you know the po- point is to be accountable to a community. Um, and 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 that's a great point that you bring up, Abel, and super helpful is that you want to be publicly accountable, um, mm-hmm. and that will that will provide a structure 
kind of a psychological structure. It's not a physical thing. We're not talking about walls and, and step over. Like, you know, provide like a structure in your mind inside of which, um, you know, you can live. And, and that, you know, that accountability and, and you know, honoring your word and honoring the expectation, whether you share it with two people or 200 or 2,000, um, that's an accountability that will help you uh, really stay on the rails in those moments where it feels like it's hard. Yeah, and it's definitely hard at the beginning of the process. Um, yeah. I'm sure you encountered this where um, you're just sitting at a party or something like that, and someone's like, oh, have a cookie. And you're like, sorry, I, I'm, I'm not doing that right now. I, yeah. Cookies don't fit into what I'm doing. And they're like, oh, why? And then you explain it to them, and then they don't really accept it. You know, they, It puts them in a negative mindset because it kind of threatens their behavior, right, and their choices. Yeah. You saying, you rejecting their cookie is saying that the way that they're living is wrong in some way, or at right. least that's kind of the social dynamic that's going on. But over the course of time, that, um, say, a year later, you're at the same party, they might not offer you that cookie. And, that, and so that whole thing is avoided just because you're a healthy guy at that point. Yeah. It's not well, some I've, weird thing you're doing. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. I mean, you know, I, I host a dinner in New York City every month, so, you know, co-host with a friend for business leaders. And we're at the same table at the same restaurant every month. And even the wait, the, the server, the serving staff knows to not put the bread on my plate, you know? Hmm. So it's, I mean, it's just, it really, you know, so it's, it's a great point. People stop offering you the stuff that they know you're off. And even the way you language it for yourself, I mean, instead of saying, I can't eat that bread or I can't have that dessert, that frames it in this person, like it's a prohibited thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this, it's this taboo, prohibitive thing, as opposed to a choice for life and a choice for health. Um, so it's a simple no thank you. Yeah. Or if, or if, you know, if, if people really feel the need to expand, um, you know, or even in, even in your, once again, your relationship to yourself is the number one relationship to honor here. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not that I can't, it's just that I don't. Yeah, exactly. I, and that's, that's the healthy way of looking at it. Yeah, it's a, and it's a huge distinction and a huge difference. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't eat, I don't eat cookies anymore. Right. You know, that's, that's a lot easier for me to accept and live with than I can't eat cookies anymore. Yeah. You know? uh, I love that. Um, when I hear you say that, I, I don't eat cookies anymore. It fills me up with kind of a positive feeling because <laughs> I, I experience the same thing. If I see Oreos or M&Ms just lying out on the table, uh, it's not like I avoid them. I'm not drawn to them anymore because it's not a part of who I am. It's a choice that, I, well, that I've made, and now it's just automatic. Well, Right. I don't is a choice you make. I can't is somebody, some external force or person mm-hmm. is prohibiting you from doing it. Yeah. So there's always, there's always going to be resistance to I can't because that takes us back to psychological memory and mental memory in childhood and growing up and all the million times we were told no. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, there's no reason to battle with yourself in terms of psychological history and the, you know, the thousands of times you were told no between the ages of like zero and 18, you know, but to make your own choices, you know, I I just don't do that, you know, and then no, and then that is not externalized. That comes from within you in service to yourself. Right. right? Um, So, I mean, I haven't even, I just, I thank you. I mean, really, our dynamic right here just generated that distinction. I haven't thought about that before, but but uh, 
um, I, I got, I got, I just got something big for myself just talking <laughs> about that with you. That's part of the fun. I can't believe it, but we're just about out of time, Michael. This is just breezed right by. Um, but why don't you tell the folks out there where they can find you and, and what you're working on? Sure, sure. Um, well, I, I, I typically have two, two or three uh, consulting assignments um, at any given time, always in health and wellness, and usually with a web-based company. Um, and that sometimes those are personal brands like yourself, or sometimes um, companies in the supplement space or in the uh, publishing space. Um, so michaelfishmanconsulting.com is my site, and there's a pretty easy opt-in form there. If you'd like further insights from me, um, you know, on an occasional basis, uh, that's where I do my communicating. And uh, I'm also on Twitter uh, at Michael Fishman, my name. And, um, you know, I'm usually posting things uh, there as well. You know, I think I think I have like 9,000 tweets. I don't think I've ever made one request of anybody. I just really try to have it be about generosity, contribution, and, and uh, you know, giving people a good, good insights and good resources. So, uh, so those are the two places. All right. I love it. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really valuable. It's the sugar addiction is something that so many people out there struggle with. And I think this has been really helpful for them. This was a total, total, uh, treat. This was, this was the sweetest part of my day. So thank you so much, <laughs> Abel. This, this is fantastic. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. If you'd like to hear more from Michael Fishman, you can check out his website at michaelfishmanconsulting.com. And once again, don't forget to sign up for my email list at fatburningman.com and I'll shoot you a free ebook called The Primal Rockstars, as well as some free audio and exclusive video and other cool stuff. All you have to do is go to fatburningman.com and sign up for the email list and I'll shoot it right over to you. I just want to remind you that I really appreciate you listening and telling your friends about the show. We've been kicking butt recently, and I look forward to keeping that up. So tell your friends and drop me a line anytime. Love hearing from you guys. Now until next week, be well. I'll be talking to you guys soon. Cheers. Cheers.